you, Brother Jim. Brother Jim can pray. I appreciate that. Okay, well, I'd like to go. We read some of these verses several weeks ago. I'm not going to be talking about this verse by verse, but it's part of this topical message that we have. But let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23 and read verses 16 to 22. And we don't hear from Jeremiah enough. These words are very, very important. And we're talking about how do we listen to God's word? Do we listen to it according to what we think or what God wants us to do? And I think we know the answer there. So in Jeremiah 23, verses 16 to 22, I'm going to read this because it's our primary text, and then we'll all read together some first, many other verses. Jeremiah 23:16, we read, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you, they make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, ye shall have peace. And they say unto every one that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. Does that sound familiar today in America? No matter what, oh, just, just do things according to the imagination of your own heart, no evil will come upon you. Well, that's not what the Lord says. Verse 18. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he hath executed, until he hath performed the thoughts of his heart in the latter days. Ye shall consider it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. There's nothing better in this whole life than to be turned away from evil. Nothing. That is the worst epidemic, the worst problem mankind have, is being having claws of Satan in his neck and being pulled down by Satan in evil. And this is what the Lord told Jeremiah to tell the people how you can be freed from evil. Listen to me. Listen to my word. Why would we listen to that word if it's not holy and inerrant? Well, now you have the problem of most people because that is what they have been taught. It's not holy and it's not inerrant. as what most evangelical, many of them teach, and that's what they say. So then what's the standard? Where can there be a standard? Well, I'm here to tell you that this is not a religion to me. This is not a faith to me. This is life. That Bible is holy, it is inerrant, it is perfect, and you can bet your life on it. In fact, let's go a little bit beyond that. You can bet your eternity on it. And I think that's very important for us to remember that. These words of Jeremiah is a man that's standing alone. Like many, many little tiny Christian churches today in America, they're standing alone. The governor tells them to shut their doors. They're not going to do it. The governor tells them to fly a rainbow bag and a flag in front of their church. They're not going to do it. The Bible tells them to make some kind of concessions for abortion. They're not going to do it. There's a handful left. And the Lord says, you listen to my word and I will deliver you from the evil. Always remember in that prayer, the Lord's prayer to us, deliver us from the evil one. 
What does that mean? The Catholics, the Catholics, they believed it means to deliver us from the crime and all the bad things out there. So they use philanthropy and all these things in order to basically self-medicate it. It doesn't mean that. It means deliver us from Satan, and the only one that can do that is Jesus Christ. That's what it means. And this is what Jeremiah is saying here. We've been talking about the canonization of Scripture. What is the canonization of Scripture? We're talking about the Bible, its authorships, the origin, and the reliability of Scripture. And this is a very serious topic. Canon is a noun. It means a general law, a rule, a principle, or a criteria by which something is judged. The appointment, as here's an example, the appointment violated the canons of fair play and equal opportunity. See how important it's a standard that is to be counted on. It's not something that's up there basically for man's interpretation. It's a collection or list of sacred books accepted as genuine. Pastor. Amen. Right. 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 And um, as you've said many times, and I think that's a very, very good way. What is the what is the uh, job of a prophet? Giving them bad news, right? That's the other one. That's, that they, they work hand in hand. Of course, that is what parents do. A good parent tells their kids what they don't want to hear. You know, if, if your child is getting ready to run in front of the train, you don't sit there and use relativism and try to reason with it as they get hit. You scream at them and say, get out of the way. That's what the job is, is for us as Christians, maybe not to scream at people, but to tell them, to warn them of the impending doom coming. It's coming. And it's on its way. And so we don't have to be subject to that. We honor the Lord's word, and it's all right here. We're going to read here some more tenets on what the, how important Scripture is. We're going to look up some verses here. But as we talk about the canonization, what, how important is it for the Scriptures to be genuine? Look at all. Who, who, who here watches American Pickers? You guys ever watch any shows like that where they have all these shows where they have all, like some of the car shows, and they have these cars coming in and they're worth all this money? They just found Steve McQueen's, uh, I think he had some kind of a Corvette or something like that. They just found it. Do you want the knockoff or do you want the genuine car? Do you want the one with the original engine that's worth three, like $2 million? Or do you want some knockoff kit that has some old engine in it that, 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 that's not worth anything? I mean, you look at some of these shows, there's some genuine stuff that shows up. I'll tell you, there's one show I was watching a couple of years, I can't, can't remember what it was called. They had the original Westminster Confession of Faith that would belong to Benjamin Franklin. He had this Confession of Faith and his name was in it and it was authentic. That was genuine. I think they sold it for like $900. I think it was worth a lot more than that. I'd have loved to have that. And there was the, it was a conf- and they showed the pages in it. They were wrinkled, and he had some notes that he had written down. Benjamin Franklin. That was genuine. 
What about the baseball card? Anybody hear about that baseball card, Honus Wagner? You ever hear what that one's worth? Well, I know who owns it, who bought it. He bought it back in like 1988. The, one of the greatest hockey players that I think ever lived, Wayne Gretzky, he found that card and he paid $2 million for it and within a year it's worth like $10 million. It was an original Honus Wagner baseball. It was the only one in the world. But did you want a knockoff that's worth 50 bucks? Or did you want the genuine baseball card, the original one? Well, there are a lot of knockoff Bibles out there. They're all watered down. The words are taken out of them. They're all scribbled around, and a lot of the meanings are taken out of them. But we have one. The Lord has showed us what the genuine original scriptures, going back to the Texas Receptus, the original canonizations, we have it. So then why, sadly, does it a lot of times it sit on the shelf and collect dust? Well, we're going to read some things here that maybe it'll encourage us to pick it up just a little bit more, if not a lot more. Genuine. That's canonization. Well, what is the New Testament canon? What is the New Testament canon? The problem of canon is the church must answer this. It must be coherent. We must have a good gospel message for it to be coherent, and we must understand it. How are we going to be able to defend the Scriptures if we don't read it and we don't understand it? What are we going to defend? How is it going to be coherent to us? Well, let's read some verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Um, I probably, let's, I'd like to ask, uh, how about, um, let's see, uh, Matthew, could you look that up for us? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses one through six. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. There's so much in these verses. It's just pregnant with theology and doctrine in here. And, and Paul, and you have to, when you know the history of Paul as we've been studying here for a while, what he came out of and where he's at now, he loves the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point where he says, if you know it, if you've heard it, and if you've studied it, and you don't share it with others, it is a blindness that they are lost because they don't receive it. How are people going to receive the gospel if we don't preach it and teach it? Yes, the Lord can make the rocks cry out, and you know that that's true, because if you go to a cemetery, there are King James Bible verses on a lot of cemetery stones. 
They cry out. I don't see a whole lot of NIV Bible verses in the, in the cemeteries, especially down here at Mount Vernon where they've basically taken all the Bible verses out of the house because of all the woke liberals. But they're down there in the cemetery and they're right over his head. The crypt, the, verse, the verses are there. And I know that the Lord can do that. But don't you want to receive that blessing for be one of those ones for, for articulating and loving Scripture and being able to share it with other people? And once again, we say it every time, tracks. Tracks is a good way to do that. That's a wonderful way to do that. If you don't have time to talk to someone, you carry them and you hand, hand them. I think it's a great way because of those Bible verses are in those tracks. And sometimes the cartoons may be a little goofy, but in those pages there are good Bible verses. And so what Paul is talking about here, number one, let's remember, Paul knows unequivocally that he's writing Scripture. He knows that. He knows that he is articulating Scripture. He is being led by the Holy Spirit. He writes these verses, and he says that we manifest this truth, and we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, which he's saying we are responsible for mankind. We are responsible for getting that gospel out, and we are responsible for making sure that we're a testimony of it and that we love it. If our gospel be hid, he says it's hid to them that are lost. I mean, if we have an opportunity to give that gospel, especially to someone's hurting that's lost, what a golden opportunity. What a wonderful opportunity to be able to do that. I think it's a wonderful thing when you go to a hospital. When you pray, you don't have to scream, but pray with authority and pray loud. Read the scripture. You'd be, you'd be surprised at who's listening through those walls and who walks by. And I remember Brother Dick Lane. He used to sit, well, the chairs are different now, but he used to sit up in the front. And Brother Dick Lane, he had cancer. Jerry remembers him. Remember Dick Lane? Yep, Dick Lane. He was awesome. And we were, I remember we were, uh, he's probably bad, probably had a few weeks left in his life. He had cancer. He's sitting there smiling and just glowing. We were over at GBMC. He was getting ready to be moved over to Stella Maris. I helped him move over there. I was, we, had fun, we had a good time that day. He, he, he calls the nurses in. He hits the button and he starts calling the nurses in and they think they're coming in to help him. And he sits there and he reads Psalm 103. And he sits there. We were reading together. He starts witnessing to them. And he calls them in and they all sat there and listened. And I, I remember finished praying. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't hold back. I thought that was pretty awesome. Well, what is the New Testament canon? What are we looking for? Behind the scenes, there is a raging debate about canon. Why does it matter? Well, whoever controls the terminology controls the debate. That's the problem. Whoever controls the terminology controls the debate. How can you control the terminology if you're going to be... And, hey, if you control the terminology and it's a lie, people will fall for it hook, line, and sinker. Oh, they will. You can really make a lie look good. You can really debate it. And you can really, really take the details and twist them to make people feel good. And so I think that's what Pastor Olson was, was talking about with the prosperity gospel. You can take that and you can really make it look good and people will buy it. They will sit there and they will, if you make them feel good about themselves, you control the terminology and it works. Because these churches have tens of thousands of people but they won't talk about sin, Pastor. Yes, and that's what Jeremiah is saying here, right? Let's go back to there again. What did he say? He said, "And hath perceived and heard his word, 
who hath marked his word and heard it, behold, a whirlwind of the Lord. He goes, ye shall have peace, and they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart. Exactly. That's a great way of putting it. Well, Lisey. Right. 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 Well, plug that into what you're saying to what Pastor Olson preached about last Sunday, what he was telling us and, and, and preaching from Second Kings. He talks about, what, what was the exact term, uh, giving a little bit, a little bit at a time? Is that what it is? That's it. Here a little, there a little. If you only have a little window of here a little and there a little, and that's many times all you're going to have if you witness. How can you take that time and just use that little bit, a few precious seconds to lie, to control the terminology and make it some emotional intervention? You have to go to God's Word. There's no greater terminology. There's absolutely no greater life that you're ever going to have. As Luther said about how the Bible has arms and legs, it has the power of salvation. It has the power to change someone's heart. I've seen this. I've seen people change, and I've seen them get saved. And I don't like it when people go around and say, I've heard many people, and I've heard it many times, and I've heard it on the radio. I've heard actually people that I know. People don't change. People never change. They just stay the same. That's not true. That's not true. A gentleman I'm thinking about is years ago, I used to play in this little pickup basketball league, and he used to come and play, and he used to just curse, and he was, I mean, he'd say these horrible jokes, and I'd have to kind of stay away, and all. And then one day, he comes in after about six years, and he starts talking about Jesus. And all the guys were laughing at him, and he comes to me, and he goes, he, I had said some things about it, he goes, he starts asking me questions about these Bible verses. And all of a sudden, no more cursing, no more dirty jokes, and all of a sudden, I'm starting to get emails about how he's now witnessing to his son and how they're going to church. It was incredible to watch. I'll never forget that. Good guy. And uh, this is what the Bible has the power to do, to take somebody completely away from that incarceration that they're in, you know, with evil, and the Lord frees them from it. Is it going to be an easy ride as a Christian? No. But if you've read Pilgrim's Progress and you get to the end of it, you can see how wonderful it is. It's a wonderful, wonderful ride. It really is. Whosoever controls the terminology controls the debate. When Christians, when the Christians have this test and they're being railed against, really the definition now totally depends on people's theology data, morality, and perspective. Some scholars say 5th century is when canon of Scripture was found. And, and so far, 400 years, there was no Scripture? That's one of the things they say. When Christians are being sought after, we have to have the truth and we need to know history. There are theologians that say that Scripture didn't even exist until the 5th century. Well, let's just be practical about that. If that's true, can anybody tell me what the problem with that is? If Scripture did not actually come into effect until the 5th century, I'll, I mean, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to help answer this maybe a little bit, best I can. What do you think would happen? What would that leave the Scripture open to? Sure. 
Yes. That's a good answer. Anybody? Teresa? Did you say something? Amen. Well, what happens? If Scripture doesn't come into effect until the 5th century, what happens back in the days of Noah? What happens in the days of Moses? What happens with Gideon when he divided the Midianite army with all the clanging tins? What happens when David fired a, fired a stone and whacked Goliath right between the eyes? What happens to all that? I mean, you can see all throughout the New Testament that the Old Testament was referred to and used as the basis of preaching. Lisi. Right. Right. The Lord made very, very careful uh, um, provisions right. to be sure that that word was preserved exactly. And I praise God for that because we know the Lord is sovereign in all this. He's not going to allow it to be perverted. He's going to leave us right. the Amen. one thing that we know we can still count on. That's uh, excellent. That's exactly right. Well, I find it interesting... I find, do you have, have you seen too many people over the last centuries, if you've studied church history, putting their lives on the line and dying for the Catholic Bible? Have you seen them dying for the Apocrypha or the Didache after the first century? You know, there are a lot of people, a lot of men, precious men, that were willing to die for the Holy Inerrant Scriptures because they knew what it is. What, not what it was, it's what it is. Dave. Right. Right. They've taken it and they've tried to do everything they can. Pastor Olson said once again, very, very profoundly, we're basically living off the barred capital of the Christianity of the forefathers of our country that love the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're trying to do everything they can to dismantle that. And it's working, isn't it? How many people are actually talking and loving what happened with our forefathers? No, they're all a bunch of slave owners and they're nothing but a bunch of racists now that have nothing. You know, these people don't even know history. They have no idea. Teresa. Church councils, yes, they were very narrow. Pastor Olson could probably help that one with a little bit. Right. Amen. Well, if you go back, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about a scholar in the colonial period. 
I went to school. I went to three different Christian schools. And I never heard this name ever in Christian schools. Never. How many of you heard of John Witherspoon? Faith, excellent. Jenny, I knew you would. John Witherspoon. Who was John Witherspoon? Anybody know anything about him? They will, you'll never hear John Witherspoon, not even mentioned on Fox News, which is such a pathetic collection of liars. They're worse than CNN because at least they pretend to be good. John Witherspoon. You're never going to hear that on the 4th of July. John Witherspoon was the successor to Jonathan Edwards as the, uh, as the dean of Princeton University. He gave everything he had to preserve the library. The library was actually burned down during the war, and he did everything he could to preserve the original transcripts of the Bible and all these theological books. Witherspoon basically died a broke man, although he was the dean of Princeton University. He loved the Lord, and he was the only clergy that signed the Declaration of Independence and put his name on there so big, they chased him and tried to kill him for years. Witherspoon, uh, the, all the educated, now all evolution and all this stuff was really coming through the ranks, and that's one of the reasons Edwards lost his church because of works and evolution. They were two big factors in how he was basically voted out of his church. And so Witherspoon comes right behind him, and he holds up the principles that we love, that God has taught us, and all of his contemporaries educated around him hated him. They talked horribly. Oh, they still are making him today out to be a racist. He was one of the bravest men during that colonial period. He sat on the Continental Congress that helped form the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence with a handful of men. How would you like to sit in a con? Let's talk about Congress today. How would you like to sit in Congress today with Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and this bunch of absolute pathetic liars? And yeah, I do hope they hear me recording this. He sat in the Congress with George Washington, Patrick Henry. Samuel Davies was actually working with Patrick Henry, great pastor, died at a young age. These were the men that formed this country. John Jay, John Adams. Calhoun, they all sat on the Continental Congress. And you know how they formulated our Declaration of Independence? By this, by that, not the Communist Manifesto or Karl Marx's books. It was by the Word of God. That's John Witherspoon. And that's just one name. And we talk about Pastor Keith. I don't know how many times he preached, and I, and I loved the one he would bring that up. Anybody hear about Nathan Hale? Anybody remember him? Who was he? He loved the Lord, by the way. You don't read that in the history books. All he is is the guy that became a traitor to the British Army, and they hung him, and he had a wife. That's all they say. That man loved the Lord. He loved the Lord, and that was part of one of the reasons they hated him. He was offending the king because he upheld the word of Jesus Christ. They caught him, and they hung him. And as he had just been married, a young guy, and he said, I only regret that I have one life to live for my country. He said, I would hang for this country a hundred more times if I had to, to uphold the Word of God. Where do you hear that anymore? you see that on Bob Bell commercials anymore for the 4th of July? You don't see nothing like that anymore. All you hear about today is Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King Jr., John F. Kennedy, and Marilyn Monroe. That's about what you hear. These are supposed to be these great you know, pillars of the faith. That's all you hear. Barack Obama, what did he ever do? What did he ever do? What? What has he ever done for you? He's ruined this country. That's what he did. And this idiot that's in there now, he's worse than him because he's a puppet. Did you see that thing where Barack Obama showed up at the White House? Did you see that? And all the people ran over to him and there was Biden standing in the corner by himself. Did you see that? 
Yeah, that's the forefathers of our nation. Now, can you imagine reading about them 200 years from now? I'll take Witherspoon and Nathan Hale. Sorry. Um, all right, well, let's go to Scripture. I'm talking too much. Um, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the larger catechism, I want to transfer. We're talking about the canonization of Scripture. We're talking about the inerrancy of it, and it is genuine. Okay? So what did the writers, a handful of men, and by the way, the King James Bible is good enough for them to die for when they wrote this. How doth it appear that the Scriptures are the Word of God? Now, we've already answered four of these, and I'll remind you. These are the first four answers, and I think they're wonderful answers. That I don't even know if, you know, how, if anybody even today could make these up. But they did this based on Scripture. How doth it appear that the Scriptures are the Word of God? The Scriptures manifest themselves to be the Word of God by their majesty, number one. Two, their purity, number two. By the consent of all the parts. That means all of, it's like a big puzzle put together, the 66 books. And if you want to include the 67th book is the, basically the table of contents with all the maps. I kind of like that too. But anyway, the 66 books, it's like a big puzzle and every piece fits in perfectly. Not one piece of that puzzle is, 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 is out of whack that doesn't fit in that puzzle. That's how you got to look at it. I think it's a good way of looking at it. It's a wonderful roadmap. And by all of its parts, they all uphold each other. And so that enhances the inerrancy of it. I think that's awesome. By the consent of all the parts and the scope of the whole. That means the scope of the whole. Paul says he preaches the whole council, and we shouldn't be leaving anything out. We shouldn't be cutting and pasting it, you know, making it kind of like the way we want to make it look. It's got to be the way that the Lord wrote it. So that's, that's number four, is the scope of the whole. Which, here's number five, and we can look up some verses here in a minute. Which is, now here's, this is a pretty big one. Which is to give all glory to God. That's what we should be answering. That's what we should be asking ourselves when we're reading Scripture and we're taking notes and we're learning about it. Is what we're hearing and is what we're learning, does it give all glory to God? That's an extremely important um, that is a very important reason. All right, here's a verse. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Um, Noah, could you look up Romans chapter 3, verse 19, and then skip over from Romans 3, 19, then read verse 27, okay? Romans 3, 19, and then, and then skip over and then read verse 27 after that, okay? Verse 27. Same chapter, Romans 3, just go down to verse 27, okay?
We're all guilty before God. Thank you, Noah. Romans. Romans. Here's Paul again. He says we're all guilty before God. I listened to a good message the other day about guilt. And the pastor that was preaching, it said the only way you're ever going to truly, in your own heart, in the mirror, by your own self, not with all the fluff and all the pretending and all the stuff, that you're ever going to rid yourself of guilt is by the law of God. It's by the word of the Lord. And it's by repentance. That is the only way that heavy burden you're carrying on your shoulder that you're trying to hide from everybody, the only way you're ever going to be able to release that is by repentance and by the word of Jesus Christ. And I was reading this morning, I don't have the verse in front of me, but the Lord says, he that is free is free indeed. And the Lord, if you take that and you, you look at the definition of freedom, he's talking about liberty. He's not talking about some kind of a string-attached freedom. True liberty comes from the Word of God and comes from the cleansing of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lisey. Right. Right. Wow. Where I've had situations, you know, where I've, I've done the wrong thing. You know, right. I'll tell you one specific one when I lied to my mother. And she was away for a few days, and I knew the Lord wasn't letting me. I mean, I did everything. I raked leaves. I did everything I could to take my mind off of what I had omitted to tell her. Let's right. Put it that way. And I just knew, and when she came back, I went up to her and I said, I lied to you. And she. She was really horrified by it, but then she tried to smooth it over. Said, "Well, no, you didn't mean." I said, "No, I knew what I was doing, and I did the wrong thing, and I asked for forgiveness, and I was free." Mm. But that was the only thing that released me. Right. So I just thought, nope. From here on out, good lesson. Note to self: Do not. <laughs> so the raking of the leaves. I didn't tell her everything, you know. Right. The raking of the leaves was the works-oriented part of it. <laughs> <laughs> She's probably saying, please lie to me some more right now. I'm just kidding. Excellent. Pastor. Well, I heard a sermon at my son's church a little while back, and the preacher there had a sermon on guilt, and basically the whole point was all we need to do is just forget our We need to move beyond our guilt, and we need to forget it. Mm. And he never talked about repentance. Mm. And it was uh, kind of sad. Now, one other thing is on another subject, the canon. You know, the canon, in 500, when they had all those councils and things, about they recognized what the canon had already been established. Right. And the, the canon came about when the books were given out, they showed themselves to be the Word of God, right from the get-go, right from the time they were given out. Right. And the way the Jews used to describe that was they showed the hands unclean. A lot of people have a hard time getting, getting around that, getting their minds around that. But anyway, the, their hands were unclean by comparison with the book that had just been given out. Mm. And so the Bible, right when it was given out, it showed itself to be the Word of God. It glowed. Just like when Moses came down from the mountain, it couldn't be, you, you couldn't debate it. But how can you not how how can you know to debate it if you don't if you're not close to it? That's the whole point. 
We get it into the Scriptures. That's a great point Pastor made. Give all glory to God. Here's the next one. How doth it appear that the Scriptures are the Word of God? By their light and power to convince and convert sinners, to comfort and build up believers unto salvation. That's a good answer. You want me to read that again? Let me read that one more time. Why doth it appear that the Scriptures are the Word of God? By their light and power to convince and convert sinners, to comfort and build up believers unto salvation. That's a mouthful right there. That's, that's incredible. We read in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 18, verse 28, and that's where we're at right now in our normative Sunday school class that we're going to be back to in September. We, we read... For he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's the same thing with Peter and John when they were there at the, 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 the temple with the gate beautiful. And when they healed that man and the man was saying, you want some money? Or No, he, at first he said, do you have some money? Do you have money for me? He was, a, he was a, a, an impotent man. He was a poor man. He didn't have anything. And they said, you have anybody? He said, no, but we have the gospel. And I'll tell you what, we're going to use that gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, in two seconds, you're going to be walking out of here with your legs. That's the word of God, by the power of Jesus Christ. Do you, you have any idea what prosperity gospel they could have used if they would have stolen that miracle? Oh no, they gave all that glory to Jesus Christ. Now you think of some of the miracles you talk about the word of God. And this might not be a miracle. But that's one thing that comes to mind. Many, many things that come to mind. Remember when Jesus needed to pay the tax? What did he do? Remember that? You ever seen a lot of fish? Well, think about how incredible this is. Well, he tells the disciple, he goes, get down here and grab that fish. There's a coin in his mouth. How did he know that? (laughs) How did he even know? How did he have any idea? That right there should have told Peter and John, you should make him a 50% partner in the fishing, fishing trade and give him 75% of the money or 80% because he knows where all the fish are. By the word of God, he reached down and he grabbed a, coal, a gold medallion whatever, out of the fish's mouth. How many times did he do things like that? It's endless. Another proof of the inerrancy of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What's that thing saying? Scripture is, scripture is supernatural. It's beyond man's comprehension. That is why we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You go all the way back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And I believe that that is the answer in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Verse 2, for by it the elders obtained a good report. That is the answer. Who hath believed our report? Those that believe in Scripture. When you bring those together, and we're going to finish, but I would like to read, well... James chapter 1, verse 18, Of his own will begat he us 
with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Our first fruits should be from Scripture. That's where our first fruits should be of. That should emanate through us, just like when Moses came down off the mountain and he glowed from the Word of God. He had the real, (laughs) it's all real, but he had the Word of God from God on top of the mountain, and he came down and he glowed. Scripture separates itself. It's, It's unique. It's incredible. And there is nothing in there that you can't find when you're, when you're struggling. It's amazing how the Lord will direct you to the right verses that will help you. And so, Scripture is real, it is holy, and it is inerrant. Let's finish with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee and praise Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee that it endureth forever. Thou hast said that when the heavens and the earth be destroyed, the Word will still be there. Thy Word will still illuminate It will still have legs and arms. It will still have the power of healing and the power of salvation. And we can guarantee that. And we thank Thee, Lord, for the promise that Thou hast given us. And Heavenly Father, I pray a special prayer this morning. Mrs. Roberta, late last night, has asked for prayers. Miss Doris has been taken back to the hospital. She's not doing well. And we just pray they had to transfer for transfer her from one hospital to another. Miss Roberta is is very very uh, uh, she sounded very afraid. And I ask that that would comfort her heart right now and that Miss Doris will come home today. Just bless us and keep us from falling, we ask, and open our hearts to hear thy word today. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ we thank thee. Amen.